All right, let's, uh, let's get started with a word of prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us today to study your word. We pray that you would bless us with your Holy Spirit so that with renewed hearts we might understand what you have to teach us and believe all the things that you've given us. We pray this in your Son's most holy name. Amen. All right. Any questions? Yes, surely. Okay. That's a good question. Uh, so, it, it's interesting you should say that. We were just, talk, we were just talking about Lauren. So, you've read Lauren Winter before, right? Remember, remember reading, what books have you read by her before? Mudhouse Sabbath? No? Girl Meets God? Okay. Yeah, so... Um, but what I really want to say is, she used to be really good. Um, things that, so, uh, people's biographies develop. Um, Pastor Brusick was telling me this morning that he, he first ran into her at um, a conference at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne. She was the keynote speaker, interestingly. Um, and so, when she was sort of describing her conversion, she... Uh, was learning a lot of new things about the church and was doing a great, great job of describing them. Um, recently, actually, after we after we picked this book, uh, we discovered that she had sought ordination in the Episcopal Church, which you know sort of says something about says something about her. Um, so the criterion was she she was really good. Okay, so we knew, we knew something about her. Um, the, and also we knew that it would be challenging. So, um, although it may hurt a bit at times, right? So, um, so you, when you say that it's the worst book, you, what you, I think what you mean is, right, tell me if I'm right or not, it's, uh, it's a book that you've had to struggle with more in terms of, or, or be more discerning about in your reading. Oh, well, yeah, right. So, and, which is, uh, you know, also another, another um, struggle, right? So, I, I struggle with this too. So the, I, you know, anger, being angry, at, being angry at an author is an easy thing to do because the between me and the author stands this book and also a thousand miles, right? So, uh, you you can, but um, but you still read it, and there and the things that you find disagreeable um, are valuable to you in in sort of solidifying the things that you believe, right? Um, I wouldn't do this for just anybody. We wouldn't do this book for just anybody, right? I mean, and you all have demonstrated your... You your never give books to a brand new church. Oh, no. Yeah, and you, you, you all have demonstrated your critical capacities, um, which is... Which is I, and I, I mean that... I don't mean that like in... I mean like critical thinking capacities um, and also critical capacities, but um, which is good. So what, that means that we can engage it on a different level. In fact, I've, I think, although maybe the... So, you might disagree with me. I think that although the book is perhaps not something that I have enjoyed as much, I've, the discussion that we've had has been fantastic. And in fact, I think I'm really looking forward to today's discussion because it's, it's um, because it's it's really important stuff. 
and and she, for better for for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, gets us into the Bible, um, which is valuable. So, um, I appreciate your sentiments, and uh, we'll uh, we'll. So my question was the criteria you use. Yeah. No, we had we read the book beforehand. Um, yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't a, it wasn't blind. It wasn't blind trust in in her. Yeah, um, so it was. I mean, you know, it's going to be challenging. Okay. Any other questions, Barbara? Isn't something like this harder for you guys to to run a class? Wow. Why do you make it so hard on yourself? What makes you, why, why do you think it's hard for, makes it hard for us? Because you have to pick out things that, to discuss, that, that. Oh, I, I think the, the, the things that to discuss just sort of bubble out of it. It's <laughs> I don't know, it's, it's, I find it so negative. It's just, it's, it's not fun. Okay. And okay. Of course, I guess maybe by the time, no, it should be fun. <laughs> I, I, I do appreciate. I really appreciate this feedback. This is this is helpful. Um, oh, my time is so short, and I don't want to be wasting it on things that well, I don't agree with. This. Why, why do I should I read the rest of the book? Because I don't. It just irritates me. Sure, sure. So let me just posit to you the 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 alternate viewpoint, which is that we also can't only read things that we agree with, because what you end up with is an echo chamber in your own in your own head, right? Um, because, because in fact, things that we disagree with exist in the world, right? So, um, we have to we have to be sort of realistic about encountering them. So, we we talk about this book in a very different way than we would, for instance, talk about the Lutheran Confessions if we were reading the Lutheran Confessions, or a book of the Bible if we were reading a book of the Bible. We'd say, this might challenge you. In fact, it will today. Ezekiel sixteen will challenge you, but uh, whether it's fun or not, it's God's word. Right. Yeah, that's, that's right. And so what you see here, what you see here is an interesting, um, not uncommon, uh, uh, familiar response to God's word when it when it hurts us. What she does is is often what we do on a on a different scale or at different points of scripture. So the things that scandalize us, we. Uh, you, you'll, you, if you pay attention to your instincts, you'll notice that the things that scandalize us, um, we dismiss, or we try to we try to work around, we try to come up with reasons for them, or just avoid them, right? And and that's interesting. I mean, this is so. This is the point. This is the point. That there are several things I disagree with. One of the main ones. I don't know if you know this. If this, if you caught onto this or not, is when she says. We can choose, on page 248, as Jewish communities ordering their public reading of Scripture have chosen, to make some texts more central than others to our proclamation. When, and what she means by that is she says we can just skip some texts if we want to, which is, which is not true. Now, it is true that some texts are crucial. Some texts are key. So there are easier texts and more difficult texts, and the easier texts, the ones that are clearer to us, easier for us to understand, um, help us interpret the more difficult ones, like Ezekiel 16. So to help us understand Ezekiel 16, we're going to talk about the prodigal son. And we're going to talk about 
um, Jesus uh, about God's uh, self-definition in Hosea as being faithful and righteous and merciful and uh, steadfast in love. Uh, these things that that don't don't seem to coincide. Um, so now I'm just going on and on. But um, so here's what I'd say. So so I appreciate your I appreciate the feedback. And if you can, if you will trust me, you've not wasted your time. Um, although it may have been a frustrating experience, um, because because you're doing exactly the work that a theologian, and which you all are, a theologian should do, which is to look critically at things um, and measure everything by what God's word says, right? Um, and that's that's the great opportunity we have here in this class. So, but maybe we won't press you quite so hard next time. Donna. Uh, well, I like I like the idea that the book brought in ideas that were, I've never thought of before. Yeah. And I like the challenge to try to figure out what's right and what's not. Yeah. And that that passage that you clarify things. It was something new for me. It wasn't just you know the same thing sure. you know, over and over. <laughs> That's I shouldn't say it that way, but in a sense. Sometimes we do say the same thing over and over again. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I think that she's really grown. You know, she's a person that struggles, mm-hmm. and that's good. Yeah. You, if you read her other books too, I mean, she, she was Jewish, and yeah. she's come a long way in her Christianity. Yeah. Perhaps. Perhaps. That, that's right. Right. And um, yeah, yeah. Well, go ahead, Holly. Oh, I was just going to say, kind of similar to what Donna said. It is very easy and comforting to read things that I know I can agree with, mm-hmm. but reading things that I am not sure helps me look with a critical eye and really focus on remembering what I do know is true. Yeah. And also, when you and Pastor Nelson talk about it, it either solidifies you know what I knew was right or challenges me to think beyond what I've always thought was the only way. Yeah. So. Sure. Okay, and, and, and you know, this is it's the sort of thing, honestly, um, that, so this, this is, the, this is the, a great setting for it, like I said, because you are all thinkers, and you've reacted appropriately to the book, and um, we, it's, we're, we're doing this as a church. We're, do, we're not doing this, it's not like we've said to you, go off and read this and struggle with it on your own, right? That would be bad, that would be bad pastoral care. Um, which is why I hope everybody, you know, I, I, my hope is that everybody comes every week. Um, but we're wrestling with it as a, as a community, right? Um, yeah, Jan. I think what I wrestled with most was she started out with a good idea and then went off on some tangents. Yeah. If she had stuck with the scripture and put the whole picture together. Yeah. I think... We would have learned more. See, that's where that—that's actually. I mean, that's a great diagnosis, and I think that that is the invitation for us to put the picture together ourselves. Honestly, I totally disagree with what she said in this chapter because if you read Hill 16, the whole chapter—it's not what she says it says. Right. And I think that's the most frustrating part. The other thing that I want to say about the books that you've chosen is that I went with Pastor Bruzek to Germany, and he gave us the book on Luther to read before we went. Mm -hmm. That book 
espoused all the things that Luther, you know, found that was wrong with the Catholic Church at that point. And we were working through the, the, the Catholic book on the seven words of Christ. Mm -hmm. And I sat there and I read that, and then I read this, and I went, one of these days they're going to put Luther back in the Catholic Church because all of the things that were wrong back then were definitely stated in the book that we were reading at the time as being part of the Catholic, you know, yeah. Right. And other than the fact that they still pray to Mary, we probably are pretty close. <laughs> and, 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 and it largely depends on who you read, too. And, right. Um, the, it's, a big, it's a big old world out there. But and a lot of people like... To just understand that, yeah. you know, reading through that, that those two things can come. And then I read this and I go, this is so far <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, it, 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 but now, so just as one more sort of apologetic for th this book, and I might not have I might not have been able to articulate this beforehand, but this it what she the way that she thinks, the way that Lauren Winner thinks about things, the way that she approaches Scripture, the way that she talks about understanding God, this is in fact the prevailing view that the world that Christians in the world have about God. Um, we are a minority. People who people who say, people who say uh, like Mary, let it be unto me as you, as you've said. Those people are few and far between, and it's hard to be that kind of a person. Um, which is you know which is why things become really important to us, like reading scripture, and having the liturgy, hearing hearing the same things over and over again. In fact, um, become really important. But it, um, hopefully, it doesn't make you despair, but opens your eyes to the fact that, that a lot of people really do think this way. They think that they think they can do with scripture whatever they want. Um, and that's just a, that's just a bad idea. Right? Um, I think I think uh, as you said uh, the world they are judging God. Yeah, right. You know and this is sometimes you know what I think uh, what um, she put naturally <laughs> human human sex in. Yeah. Yeah. Writing. Right. But, um, but, but I, I'm always amazed when they say when something happens, um, what, what, what did God do? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That something happens like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, judging God is a great is a and this this is something that we're always engaged in, right? Uh, the psalmist says, uh, what is it? Psalm 51, I think, um, uh, that God is justified by His. By his words, it's not something that we do. It's like it's like uh, C.S. Lewis says, um, you don't you don't uh, the word of God is like a, a caged lion. You don't need to or, like I think it's like a caged lion. You don't need to defend the lion. You just let the lion out of its cage, right? Um, and the same thing is true uh, in our relationship to God. So we, as this this is helpful for us to know about ourselves, our base mode of operation in this world. And I think if you examine yourself, you'll see that this is true, is, is to justify yourself. To say, I am in the right, and the things that I've done are okay, or they've been made okay. To justify yourself. And then you find yourself face-to-face -face with God who says, not true. And what do you do? 
um, you have an argument with God. Or in the case where uh, God, uh, th- things happen to you and it seems, feels like judgment in spite of God's word, you find yourself in the position like Job and you have to, what do you do? Do you say, God, you've wronged me? Um, and this is, this is the practice of Christian, of Christian piety, right? So all along we're learning the ways that we are making ourselves into God. Autonomy, this ideal that we have, that we hold to it so strictly in America, autonomy means literally being a law for yourself. Autonomos, Greek word, you are your own law, which that's a terrible idea for anybody, right? Um, to be autonomous means that you aren't account- you are, you're not subject to any authority and you're not accountable to anyone. But we know that God has ordered the world for our good and he's given us his law for our good. Um, and so we shouldn't, we shouldn't seek to be autonomous or independent. Um, we should seek to, to be faithful and just like he is. Okay. Um, and like Joseph. I'm going to, I'll just, never mind. So that's for the, that gospel lesson next Sunday. Joseph is a just man. Um, okay. Any other questions? Let's, uh, let's have some fun, huh? So, uh, I think the, th- the thing to do here is, um, let's first of all, first of all, what's her, what is, can you summarize Lauren Winner's argument in this chapter? I Kindly. I didn't write a chapter about women being abused, but I'm putting this in. Right, this is the chapter I didn't write, which I've now written. Um, so I'm, I'm taking right directly out of scripture that you know God condones abusing women, and I just okay, okay. <laughs> um, so she uh, she the image that she, that's sort of comparable to the images she's provided in the rest of the book is God as batterer and rapist, right? Which I mean, you have to you have to be. To say that about God is um, it, right. Um, so let's take a look. Did any, how many of you read Ezekiel 16 this week, or have read it? Know what it's about? Okay, okay. So we'll, let, we're going to read it together now. Um, what pages? What pages Ezekiel in those Bibles? 702. So Ezekiel is a, is a terrifying prophet. Um, especially for, so for me as a pastor, chapter 34, he says, um, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. That's me. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, you have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. And so then God says, um, that's too bad for you. You should, you should have been doing, doing your job. And at the beginning of Ezekiel, he says, um, if, you, if you warn a, righteous, if you warn a, 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 a sinner and he doesn't heed you, it's on him. But if you, warn a, if you don't warn a sinner and he perishes, it's on you. 
right? This, this, I mean, this, so he's talking about the shepherds of Israel. He's con- his concern is for the well-being of the people of Israel, and um, he doesn't hold anything back. He doesn't hold anything back. Um, so Ezekiel 16 is the, is the beginning of a new oracle. It's a new word from the Lord. And, and just as, as by, by way of preface, so you know what's coming, it's, um, it's kind of an allegory. It's kind of a story about Israel um, that describes God's relationship to Israel. In, and it's, it's vivid and graphic. Um, and it's, it's meant to evoke the kind of feelings that you will feel when you hear it. Um, but let's, we'll talk about what those feelings are afterwards. Any questions before we start? I'm just going to read it. Ezekiel 16. It's a long chapter, but there's a lot in it that's uh, worth, worth talking about. Okay. And I'm going to make some comments along the way. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations, and say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, Your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. I'm going to pause there for a second. You're going to get up, up, annoyed with me. But I'm going to pause there for a second. Um, so he's talking about Jerusalem. Is there anything surprising about hearing that Jerusalem is the, is the um, child of an Amorite and a Hittite? Why is that surprising to you? Well, this time it was, it was originally Canaanite. Yeah. Right, right. So Jerusalem, when the people came into the land of Canaan, Jerusalem was... Uh, Occupied by the Jebusites, David takes over the city, makes it the capital. Um, but prior to that, it was a Canaanite land. And so God's saying, uh, from this perspective, this city, you, this city, I've, I've, you, were, you were a product of these idolatrous nations, right? And then here's what happened. Verse 4, as for your birth, on the day when you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths, no eye pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you. But you were cast out on the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. Not a, a very familiar practice of exposure, uh, of, especially of young girls, of, of infant girls, in, among the Canaanites um, and among the, the pagan nations. So this is, this is the situation that Jerusalem has, uh, had found herself in. Verse 6, And when I passed by... When I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field, and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. Now, notice another curious thing there verse, at the beginning of verse 6. The Lord is passing by, right? Kind of, you remember the story of... Uh, the disciples in the boat on the Sea of Gennesaret, Sea of Galilee, and um, Jesus is coming to them in the storm, as and he's going to walk by them, and they call out to him to save them. Right. Um, so God's mercy, God's mercy towards uh, Jerusalem is evoked out out of her situation. So he sees her in this situation and has compassion on her. Verse 8, when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you, and I covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. 
Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with the embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. This is all really sacramental imagery, right? Washing with water, being clothed, um, and uh, being covered, being wedded to being wed to the bridegroom. And I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declared the Lord God. Can you think of specific historical examples where her renown, the renown of Jerusalem, goes forth into the nations? Can you think of any examples? Solomon and the the queen from the east, uh, the queen of Sheba. Interestingly, um, it's it's in the Gospels that Jesus talks about how it will be better, you know, better, for instance, uh, on the day of judgment for Sodom than it will be for you who have rejected me, he says. We're going to hear about Sodom a little bit later. Um, and he, said, and he, he remarks, he says, well, what, you know, even the, queen of the, even the queen of the east, even the, the nations came and knew the, the splendor of Jerusalem, um, and yet you regarded it as nothing. Verse 15, and this is where, this is such a, this is such a, crucial, um, a crucial phrase. But you trusted in your beauty. So, um, what's the source of her beauty? God. God gave it to her. Um, and so now she's taken this gift from God and, tr- and puts her trust in, in that, rather than in the one who adorned her. You trusted in your beauty and played the whore because of your renown and lavished your whorings on any passerby. Your beauty became his. So, the beauty that God had given her she gives to any passerby. You took some of your garments and made for yourself colorful shrines and on them played the whore. The like has never been nor ever shall be. You also took your beautiful jewels of my gold and of my silver which I had given you and you made for yourself images of men and with them played the whore. And you took your embroidered garments to cover them and set my oil and my incense before them. This holy holy incense that's for the sacrifices in the temple to, to a to sanctify the temple um, is set before these images made from gold and silver. Also my bread that I gave to you, I fed you with the fine flour and oil and honey you set before them for a pleasing aroma. And so it was, declares the Lord. And you took your sons and your daughters whom you had borne to me, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Were your whorings so small a matter that you slaughtered my children and delivered them up as offering to fire by by fire to them. And in all your abominations and your whorings, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare, wallowing in your blood. So this is the problem. This is this, and this is our problem, right? You didn't remember the days of your youth. You didn't, you haven't, you've forgotten where God has brought you from, um, that you were nothing, that you were less than nothing. You were, that you were despised by your parents and cast out to be exposed to death, right? The cord was not even cut. Um, is it the time of Solomon? Um, so this is, uh, yeah, starting with Solomon. Um, then you, then I mean, it, it's sort of the whole course of. Um, yeah, once the kingdom split, um, and then we'll hear about it in a bit. Um, Egypt and Assyria, 
Um, so so uh, it has to. It, so it's the conquering nations that come in um, through the different exiles, right? So Babylon and Assyria, and then alliances with Egypt. So this is the, it's, it's, it's the history of um, royal Israel, Israel that has has kings. Okay. Because Solomon uh, prepared for all his wives. Yeah. Uh, the gods. Right. But they uh, worship. Right. Yeah. Um, and that was, and that was. So God said to Solomon, "Here, I'm going to give you all this wisdom." He was made this made this great choice in a dream, right? And God said to him, um, "I'm going to give you wisdom, and I'm going to riches, give you riches, and I'm going to extend your kingdom." And he says, "But of all the things that you do, don't take wives from foreign nations, and 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 also don't multiply horses for yourself from Egypt." And those are the things that he does: takes wives and multiplies horses for himself from Egypt. Um, so I mean, and and again, so Solomon is an, an uh, is this representative of the people of Israel, right? He's their king, sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. He is Jerusalem, um, and in a, in a person, and he he does the very same thing that God's saying all of Israel has done. Um, and it's the priests and the kings who are responsible, who are who are really. I mean, this is what Ezekiel is is saying: you shepherds of Israel, um, look at what you've done. Okay. Verse 23. And after all your wickedness, woe, woe to you, declares the Lord God. You built yourself a vaulted chamber and made yourself a lofty place in every square. At the head of every street, you built your lofty place and made your beauty an abomination, offering yourself to any passerby and multiplying your whoring. So the, the, this is actually a, this is a description of, of, um, of temple prostitution, it, an actual thing. Um, Service to uh, foreign gods by sacrificing your body. Um, an, uh, an abomination. Verse 26. You also played the whore with the Egyptians, your lustful neighbors, multiplying your whoring to provoke me to anger. Behold, therefore, I stretched out my hand against you and diminished your allotted portion and delivered you to the greed of your enemies, the daughters of the Philistines who were ashamed who were ashamed of your lewd behavior. This is where the accusations get. We really start cutting close, right? So even the Philistines were ashamed. I mean, who are you? You're offering your, my sons and daughters uh, as sacrifices to gods built from gold and silver. Even the Philistines are ashamed of you. Verse 28. You played the whore also with the Assyrians because you were not satisfied. Yes, you played the whore with them, and still you were not satisfied. It's as though, so like in Hosea chapter 2, God says, you will call me my husband and not my Baal anymore. Um, all the nations had Baals, which, is, which are lords, uh, gods to whom they devoted themselves as a wife to a husband. Um, and here, Israel has, Jerusalem has a husband who's cared for her, and she's seeking after another, another, another Baal, another lord. Um, and, and this is, so, for instance, when the Assyrians come against Israel, they're supposed to, they're supposed to trust in the Lord. They're supposed to trust in him um, to take care of them, and yet they do all of these political maneuverings. Um, they sacrifice, they pay tribute to, the, to these, their conquering nations, which involves um, paying tribute to their gods, right? They're willing to sacrifice faithfulness to God just for the sake of their safety, just for the and and all the while it's a foolish endeavor because um, they're going to be exiled anyways. The, the, giving yourself over to the Assyrians means you're not going to be Israel anymore. 
Um, it's it, so it doesn't. It's not. It's not real safety. Um, okay. You multiplied your whoring also with the trading land of Chaldea, Babylon, and even with this you were not satisfied. How sick is your heart, declares the Lord God, because you did all these things, the deeds of a brazen prostitute, building your vaulted chamber at the head of every street and making your lofty place in every square. Yet you were not like a prostitute because you scorned payment. Adulterous wife who receives strangers instead of her husband. Men give gifts to all prostitutes, but you gave your gifts to all your lovers, bribing them to come to you from every side with your horns. So you were different from other women in your horns. No one solicited you to play the whore, and you gave them, and you gave payment, while no payment was given to you. Therefore, you were different. So this is, I mean, the, sort of fulfilling what he said. It's never this. The like has never been, nor ever shall be. You're not even a sensible prostitute, right? Right? You're paying, you're paying them. You're paying tribute to their gods. Therefore, O prostitute, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Because your lust was poured out and your nakedness uncovered in your whorings with your lovers, and with all your abominable idols, and because of the blood of your children that you gave to them, therefore, behold, I will gather all your lovers with whom you took pleasure, all those you loved and all those you hated, I will gather them against you from every side and I will uncover your nakedness to them that they may see all your nakedness. So this is the, this is the point that Lauren Winner attaches to, right? So um, how, how do we understand this? What's going on? Can you, can you take that verse? God says, because of all of this that you've done, I'm going to gather together all, the, all of your lovers and I'm going to uncover your nakedness. What does that mean? It's punishment. Um, but it's not, so let me say this, it's not um, like flogging somebody. What is it, Holly? Uh, is he trying to like, make her see the shame? Yeah, yeah. Right. He, so, it's, it is an, so the uncovering of her nakedness is, uh, um, evokes this shame, and he's letting her have what she wanted, right? Um, it was on her own terms before, but now, now the Lord says, if this is what you want, here's what it looks like. Here's what, here's what your shame actually looks like. Um, yes, sir, but they, they came out of um, a very, very big rich, riches. You know, what, what Solomon, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that was a time where, they had, you know, I, I think it's... Funny. Things were never better, yeah. Yeah, you know, they had really everything. They, yeah. Yeah, so as a description of the nation of Israel, I mean, this is a really vivid, um, helpful way to understand what happened to the people of Israel. They had a kingdom established by God. God promised them a son of David who would uh, reign forever. Um, and, all, and what they needed was to trust in God. Um, but instead, they trusted in their beauty, right? Um, and, yeah, it's, and so God gave them over to... This is like Romans... Romans 1, right? Um, God says, uh, Paul says, uh, it's really, it's basically a description of what Paul says in Romans 1. Um, for this reason, so for the, for the wrath of God, one eighteen is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. 
So if you pursue dishonorable passions, God, get, God gives you up to them. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of um, Moses confronting Pharaoh, and first it says, but Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh yeah. hardened his heart, and then it says, God hardened Pharaoh. Right. But the way I look at it is it's like an addiction or something. Yeah. And you get into it at first, and you think, oh, I'm making a decision. And then you realize God is in control. But I think it's part of it is just the biblical language where they often kind of make, you know, we'll say like God will strip you. And, and um, justice, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And and but and and he take that even further. So he's being just. Um, why? And he's pointing that out to him. yeah to, to women. He's, he's letting you be aware of it and let you know what you've done. But he's being just with you. What's the what's the what's the goal of God's justice here, Beth? Also being loving. Right. Right. There's a there's a um, a fellow I'm a big fan of. Uh, his last name is Budzajewski. It's probably it took me a long time to pronounce that. Um, and he wrote something about about consciences. So you all are, are hitting the nail on the head here. This an addiction is a great is a is a the perfect analogy for it. So. Um, it's hardness of heart. Hardness of heart is also a, a, a perfect picture for it. The interesting thing that Budzajewski says um, is that what we learn from Scripture is that uh, in order for God to soften hearts, it is, it is often the case that he is willing that they become even harder still, which is something that we can't fathom. We can't comprehend that that would be the way to soften a heart, to let it become harder still. Um, sometimes you have to, but this is, I mean, this is what, what like AA knows, right? You have to rub your nose, you have to hit, hit your nose on the bottom of the barrel, right? Yeah, yeah Jane. I, you know, the, the other part is the history behind this. I mean, this is, this is just before the fall of Israel, but Judah watched the northern kingdom fall, and they did all the same thing. Yeah. And, you know, I used to say when I sat as village president, we learn from our mistakes, but some people don't learn from their mistakes. So, so in fact, we don't, we, we don't learn from our mistakes. We ought to, right? Yeah. We ought to. You know, um, to look there and see that, you know, this part of the nation was taken away 200 years ago mm-hmm. because of their warring. Yeah. And now Judah's under the same condemnation because they're doing the same thing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, surely. And also, when I read the, the section there where he talks about stripping and then bringing the meat to the feet there, mm-hmm. even though there's no mention of water in there, it, it reminds me of bringing back to that. Yeah, right. Yeah. So then, then that's really, that, that's very apt because you can't, uh, so, the, Pastor Nelson um, teaches the kids about being necros, right? Being spiritually dead. There is no resurrection if you're just sort of half dead. 
right? And most people have to hit bottom. Everybody, everybody's got to hit bottom. Right. Right. And um, yeah, that's what that's what so that's what faith is, and that's what the practice of um, receiving God's gifts does for us. Is it produces that faith? Because you can't get there on your own, right? Once you're headed down, um, Chesterton says, uh, once the once a man is headed on a path uh, downward, it it goes down further and further. Um, there's there's no reversing it. He can't he can't reverse course. Momentum inertia takes him. Um, he's he's bound. And that and that's that's a technical description for our state as sinners. We are bound in sin. Uh, we have no escape, and we can't we can't trust in God until we know that until we learn that that's that's learning repentance right 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 yeah i mean and that's, that's uh, the, a component of so pastor nelson preached on it uh last sunday right uh repentance has these these parts that that you acknowledge your sin and that you trust god's promises and that you live a life of good works right so um all those things go together yeah okay but this is not the end of the story if we stopped there, you might say God is just vindictive, right? Um, but but we, we learn we learn what God's motives are. Okay. Verse thirty-eight, and I will judge you as women who commit adultery and shed blood are judged, and bring upon you the blood of wrath and jealousy. And I will give you into their hands, and they shall throw you throw down your vaulted chamber and break down your lofty places. They shall strip you of your clothes and take your beautiful jewels and leave you naked and bare. They shall bring up a crowd against you, and they shall stone you and cut you to pieces with their swords. And they shall burn your houses and execute judgments upon you in the sight of many women. I will make you stop playing the whore, and you shall also give payment no more. So will I satisfy my wrath on you, and my jealousy shall depart from you. I will be calm and will no more be angry. So as long as she's doing these things, jealousy and wrath and anger are God's, are God's affect, right? Because you have not remembered the days of your youth, but have enraged me with all these things, therefore, behold, I have returned, you to, returned your deeds upon your head, declares the Lord God. Have you not committed lewdness in addition to all your abominations? And then things shift a little bit. So now we're... Uh, Follow, follow the story. Behold, everyone who uses Proverbs will use this proverb about you. Like mother, like daughter. So your, 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 uh, your offspring will be like you. And now he's, now he's speaking to the, the child of uh, Jerusalem, the daughters of Jerusalem. You are the daughter of your mother who loathed her husband and her, children, and her children. And you are the sister of your sisters who loathed their husbands and their children. Your mother was a Hittite and your father an Amorite. And your elder sister is Samaria who lived with her daughters to the north of you, and your younger sister, who lived to the south of you, is Sodom with her daughters. Not only did you walk in their ways and do according to their abominations, within a very little time you were more corrupt than they in all your ways. As I live, declares the Lord God, your sister Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have, as you and your daughters have done. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. 
Samaria has not committed half your sins. You have committed more abominations than they and have made your sisters appear righteous. It's not actually, the word, the word doesn't, there's no word appear in the text. You have made your sisters righteous by all the abominations that you have committed. So you've been so unrighteous that you've raised them to the level of righteousness. Bear your disgrace, you also, for you have intervened on behalf of your sisters. Because your sins, so, you're, so you, don't know, you don't know what you've done for them. Because you've behaved so awfully, you've actually uh, intervened for them. You, you, your your uh, abominations are a prayer on their behalf. Because um, you've been worse than them. Because of the sins in which you acted more abominably than they, they are more in the right than you. So be ashamed. You also, and bear your disgrace, for you have made your sisters appear righteous. I will restore their fortunes, both the fortunes of Sodom and her daughters, and the fortunes of Samaria and her daughters, and I will restore your own fortunes in their midst, so that you may bear your disgrace and be ashamed of all that you have done, becoming a consolation to them. As for your sisters, Sodom and her daughters shall return to their former state, and Samaria and her daughters shall return to their former state. And you and your daughters shall return to your former state. Was not your sister Sodom a byword in your mouth in the day of your pride, before your wickedness was uncovered? Now you have become an object of reproach for the daughters of Syria and all those around her, and for the daughters of the Philistines, those all around who despise you. You bear the penalty of your lewdness and your abominations, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done, you who have despised the oath in breaking the covenant. Yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you take your sisters, both your elder and your younger, and I give give them to you as daughters, but not on account of the covenant with you. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be confounded, and never open your mouth again because of your shame, when I atone for you for all that you have done declares the Lord. So now it's an interesting ending to it. How, do you des- how would you describe it? What happens? How does, this, how does the story end? What's God's, what's, what's, why does God, what's the point of the goal of his justice? Yeah, merciful. And establish an everlasting covenant, right? One that they cannot break. That's Hosea. Um, I'm, I will establish a covenant with you that you that you cannot break. Um, but notice the role of shame here, right? So, uh, is their shame removed? No, right? Uh, they're to remember where they came from, and and, and um, so it's not a present shame because it's not a, it's not a present it's not a present sin, but it is a shame which produces trust. Right, a shame which produces uh, repentance. Um, it's like so. Th- take for instance the story of the prodigal son. I was thinking about the parallel here. If we were if we were to read the story of the prodigal son like Lauren Winner is reading this story, wh- how would what would we what would we say about the father? He loves the son, even that he was. Okay, that would that be the charitable view. 
at the end of the at the end of the story. But in the middle, when the son is eating the pods that the pigs eat, right? Okay. So, that, that's absolutely true. Take a, take a step back even further. What about what? About, the kid got what he deserved, right? Um, but so um, so that's our ju- that's our justice saying, okay, he got what he deserved. Um, what what about the the father? Is he an abusive father, right? Is he letting his son um, make make choices that? Are not good for him and suffer and suffer consequences, pa- painful consequences, right? Um, the father's letting him have his own way. Letting him have his own way, right? Just like you know, the pharaoh in Egypt did for a while. Right, right. You have kings. Let him have kings. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Samuel. Samuel says to them, "You want a king? This is what's going to happen to you." And God says, "Let them have. Let them have the king." Right. And God was waiting. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So then, so then you get the, you take the prodigal son and you return him home, and he approaches his father and he says, "I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son." And his father says, "Slaughter the fattened calf, right? We're gonna have a party. You are my son. Give him the slippers. Give him the ring. Give him the robe." Um, but the the interesting question is, does the prodigal son forget his time in the pig pen? No. no. If he for, if he forgot, what do you suppose would happen? He might probably just do it again, right? Um, uh, so so I mean, this is it, it's an interesting it's an interesting role that um, that memory plays for us, right? Because um, as soon as we forget where we've come from, as soon as we forget from what God has rescued us, um, we're inclined to fall back again. Um, it's not a call for despair. It's not a call for being um, gloomy, right? So when we think when we think about our when we reflect on our sinfulness, which we should do, what we do when we confess our sins, it's not to feel sorry for ourselves, but to be grateful to God for for having saved us from even that, right? Um, and, and that's sort of that's the that's the proper attitude of a Christian to. Remember to not not never forget your sinfulness, right? Never forget where you've come from. Um, and again, this is why we say the same thing over and over again, really, um, every every Sunday. Do you have any questions? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. So her sensitivity, her sensitivity is to um, the fact that um, we live in a culture in which it's often been very easy to justify domestic abuse. Right. This is just a, a characteristic of our of our culture, and it was for a long time. Um, and so now we're at a point where, in order to be um, in order to defend against that, 
Um, it's, it's really important for people to say, especially, especially people who espouse a feminist position, right, to say it is never justified, um, right? And it certainly is never justified for, human, for humans. We don't, we don't exact vengeance on one another for even the most vicious crimes. We, God gives us the government to do that. But um, here, in the, here in the story... Um, Right. It, it was. It should have been. The, it should have been the kings involved in, in the first place. Right. So. Uh, so you're right. Her her sensitivity is. Um, so basically, what she's saying is, God is not being very culturally sensitive right here. Right. He's not. He's not being politically correct. And it's op- And it's. And it's open to misinterpretation. Right. It's open to misinterpretation because, because of the the uh, how we view sexual violence today, how we talk about sexual violence. Um, but you miss the whole. You got to get the whole story, right? And also, we have to know that that our culture, that cultures are, that cultural relativism is not a good value. That some cultures are better than others. And I, def, you know, the New Testament part of this is that when the woman is dragged in front of Jesus because of adultery, yeah, Jesus said. Okay, which one of you hasn't sinned? Yeah, so that and that and this is uh, crucial. She should have been stoned along with the guy they found her. With. Yeah, this is this is crucial. So uh, we need to so we need to see Christ in this in this story. Okay, so how do you how do you find Christ in Ezekiel chapter sixteen? Yeah. Uh, verse 59. Yes, yeah, when I atone for you and all that you have done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will bring everybody back into the fold. Right. So who finally, who finally bears the shame um, that, that uh, is the consequence of our sin? Christ on the cross. Right. Because you and I couldn't handle it. We can't handle this. We can't handle this. This shame, right? Um, and this is we see this in the story of the woman, the woman in John eight, um, because or John seven, because uh, it, we talked about this before. She's she, uh, she is subject to the law. Justice is being served. She's getting what she deserves, right? Um, and that that's that's true. Of all of us, we're going to get what we deserve unless Jesus stands there and takes it for us. Um, and so this is where uh, faith in what God says about himself is really um, crucial. We read it in the morning devotion this morning in, in Hosea chapter 2. Um, chapter, Hosea 2 verse 19. Listen to how God describes himself. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. So take, take for a second all of these things. Um, righteousness. Justice. 
steadfast love mercy and faithfulness so now take work through this with me for just a second we tend to hear these these are words that are used all the time in the bible righteousness and justice are the like the chief descriptor of of god's will in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and they get translated into the New Testament, um, and we talk about justification, righteousness, the righteousness of faith. Um, what, what are these, and so what I mean to say is uh, these things often become sort of glossed over for us. We forget what they, we, we don't think about what they actually mean. So what do these things mean? What is, let's just have some quick definitions. What is righteousness? Okay. Use this, how about a how about a other other words <laughs> without, sin. without sin yeah um, okay good without sin so righteousness is um, to be righteous is to be without sin righteousness is the state of being sinless right without sin and what's the measure of righteousness how do you know if you're with, with if you're without sin what do what do you measure, measure yourself against the Ten Commandments, God's law, right? How about justice? What's justice? Yeah, uh, getting your due, right? Getting what you deserve. What's steadfast love? Why is it, why is it not just love? Everlasting, right? This is a... This is a um, a word that can only be used about God, right? Chesed, steadfast love. It's um, he talks about he talks about himself this way, and it's like it's like we don't take him seriously. His his love is never gonna break, never ever 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 ever. Um, it's eternal. Okay, mercy. What's that? Not getting what you deserve. Good. How about faithfulness? Keeping your promises? Doing what you say? Okay, so now, God says of himself that he's going to betroth himself to Israel in, in all of these things. But already, I mean, just, in, just, in, just right here, you see that these two things uh, don't work out, Right? How can that be? How can God betroth himself to us in justice and in mercy? Through Jesus, right? Um, so here's, so I'm going to, I'm working on my sermon for next Sunday, and it, the story is, I appreciate you uh, <laughs> indulging me. The, um, the text is the Annunciation to Joseph. So you know how this goes. Um, he, they're betrothed, Joseph and Mary, She's found to be with child. Um, uh, while he's considering, he, he uh, decides to divorce her quietly because he's a just man and he does not want to put her to shame. So he resolves to divorce her quietly. While he is considering these things, he has a dream. The angel says, the child is conceived of the Lord. Um, you shall call his name Jesus. Joseph wakes up. And he does what the, Lord, what the angel of the Lord commanded him and he names him Jesus. Um, but, but notice, so here's, here's the, the interesting thing. Um, so 
you have Joseph who is engaged to um, Mary, and uh, as far as anybody knows, she's been unfaithful. She's pregnant, right? What does she deserve? Stony, death, right? Um, what does Joseph deserve? To be to be vindicated, to right to be vindicated over against her. So um, he deserves for her to receive her due, and for him to uh, not 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 be ashamed at all as a consequence. But he's a just so he's a just man. He knows what the law requires um, that sin has been committed. But he's also a compassionate man. He's not interested in having taken vengeance on Mary. And so he resolves to divorce her quietly, right? That's, that's, the just, that's, the, that's justice and mercy in, in human form. That's the closest you can get, right? To say, I know that, I know that I'm not going to exact vengeance in the pursuit of justice, right? And my, my goal in the pursuit of justice is not hatred for the one who has wronged me, but it's love for the one who's wronged me, right? If you, say, if you say my goal in pursuing justice is love for the one who has wronged me, it means that you behave differently than if you want to let him have it, right? So Joseph gets as close as he can get, but then he has a dream and God says, you're, you're wrong. <laughs> you're going to take the woman and she's going to be your wife and he, that child's going to be your child. And now what does he have to do? He has to, by faith, bear the shame of an unfaithful wife and a bastard son, right? Um, and and uh, endure raising a child who's not his own, you know, and uh, face, face uh, have, having a wife who's evidently loved somebody else, right? Um, and that, so that's, that's the combination of these things which comes by faith, which we see, we see eminently, preeminently in Christ. Um, so, Joseph is a is a type of Christ in that way. He does what God commands him to. He suffers. He suffers. He bears the shame, not the shame of the cross. Only Christ can do that. Um, but it, and so that, and so when we when we read Ezekiel and we see God behaving justly, we want to say, um, well, she got what she deserved, right? She got what she deserved. But we, if we do that, if we say only that, then we neglect the fact that God is merciful, right? But God um, wouldn't be merciful and just if he just waved his hand at, at sin, if he, just, if he just ignored it, right? He's merciful and just when he gives his son to be sacrificed for our sins. Okay? Any questions? Okay. So we're, we're going to be done now with Lauren Winter for a little while. Um, January, it's, it'll say it in Life Together, I think January 20th is the Friday that we're going to resume. Um, I'm not sure what we're going to do yet. Yeah, not meeting next week. Not meeting next week. Yes, I'm sorry, the bookmark lies. <laughs> Does it have a question mark? Good. Okay, all right. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, 
and the glory forever and ever. Amen.